This is episode 135 with strength coach, physical therapist, and USA track and field certified running coach, Dr. Victoria Sekely. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and we have an exciting conversation today with Dr. Victoria Sekely. We're talking about common weaknesses and training mistakes in runners so you can address them. Now that spring races have been canceled nearly everywhere, it's a good opportunity to reflect on what you're good at and what you're not so good at so we can address any limitations and come back to the running scene even stronger. My guest, Dr. Victoria Sekely, is a doctor of physical therapy, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and running coach. She got her undergraduate degree from Georgetown, where she competed on the varsity tennis team before going to NYU for her doctorate in physical therapy. Her specialty is running injuries and running technique, both of which we'll be discussing at length today. I'd also like to thank our new sponsor, Path Projects, for making this episode possible. I've recently started wearing a pair of Path shorts, a baseliner, and a long sleeve running shirt, and each item is really unique in its own way. I've never before seen running apparel crafted with such care. The shorts have pockets for your stuff, the baseliner is incredibly soft, and the long sleeve shirt protects your neck in a unique way. You can go to pathprojects.com and see their full lineup of gear. I also wanted to thank Kevin, a podcast listener, who left a great review in iTunes. He said, although I can be a dumb runner at times, Jason's program made me stronger and more mobile, helping me to run faster while staying injury-free. He helped me find my strengths and weaknesses, and for that, I am very appreciative. If you're looking for inspiration, check out episode 22, Dear Boston Marathon Runners. I listen to it before every race. Thank you, Kevin, for the review, and I'm so glad you're seeing such great results. All right, let's get started with our interview. Victoria and I are going to be discussing how runners can get stronger, prevent injuries, run more, and address any shortcomings in running technique in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Victoria Sekely. Hey, Victoria. I'm excited to talk with you today about how runners can address their weaknesses. So thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. So when I was preparing for this call, I was thinking about all the things that could potentially go wrong with runners training, uh, the types of weaknesses that we could have. And I was thinking, wow, well, no races, no group runs right now. I mean, that's definitely a weakness, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Motivation too. just, you know, being on your own a little bit more instead of with a group to kind of get you going. That should be hard, I'm sure. Yeah, that's like a mental chink in our armor right now. But, you know, I do actually think that with the race calendar being cleared for the foreseeable future, this might actually help runners focus a little bit more on their training, which, you know, as a coach, this is always something that I love to see. I love seeing runners focus on their training and really work on, you know, maybe training PRs that I think usually lead to racing PRs. Um, Because the last thing that I want to see for a runner is, you know, these runners that are racing two to three times per week, which is something I actually see quite regularly. But now that's not possible. 
And I couldn't be happier to be speaking with you, Victoria, about this topic because you're a certified running coach, you're a doctor of physical therapy, you're a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So I feel like you have a lot of knowledge that's directly applicable to runners, but also this side knowledge in physical therapy and strength training. So I'm really excited to dive into uh, a lot of the common weaknesses that are present in runners training and in their preparation so that now that we're all kind of barred from racing for a while, we can really focus on addressing those weaknesses. Yeah, and that's kind of where I hope to see it go in this um, time of uncertainty is I hope that a lot of my runners, you know, the number one thing I see is um, my runners coming in and we, you know, we love to run. We love to get out there and go for a nice run. Um, But we usually don't have a pretty good strength training program set up. Um, And that's kind of where I come in and I love to, you know, teach my runners a good routine, um, usually, you know, customized towards them and and kind of what their weaknesses are um, so that they continue to develop into stronger, um, you know, more efficient runners. And that's what I love to do. Because the number one thing I see is that the majority of runners don't have that consistent strength training background. You know, we just love to get out there and run. But that's, you know, unsustainable to a certain amount of time. Yeah. And I love the way that you just described it as unsustainable, because can you run and actually run fairly successfully for a while without doing any strength work? Yes, I think that's absolutely possible. But you're leaving that stone unturned. And there's a lot of improvement under that stone. And let's just uh, continue talking about this, because I think this is likely one of the biggest training failures, weaknesses, oversights that a lot of runners have. And I'm not immune from this either. I actually, um, frankly, I don't love strength training. I would rather be out there running. I feel like I'm the typical runner. Yeah, I hear you. you Yeah, with my (laughs) coaching background, I just understand how so valuable it is. So even though I don't like doing it, I do it because of all the benefits it gives me. And it basically enables my running. So in my mind, it's definitely worth it. So lack of strength training, that's a huge one among runners. Why is that? What are, why are we skipping it? And, and if someone is just getting started with strength training, what, what, the, what should they do? I mean, obviously, we're not going to be in the gym doing power moves on day one. But, you know, how can we think about this? Well, you know, the thing that I love to tell people and, and especially my runners is running is hard. You know, it's not something that you expect to kind of go out there and be able to do every single day without, you know, having an injury down the road. Running is, you know, a series of single leg hops. It's about a thousand hops every mile. So it's just, you know, it's challenging and you need to make sure that your muscles are ready to kind of to get that load, to take that load in and be able to kind of give out this output of, of, of efficient running. Um, so I think that that's the most important thing is making sure that a runner understands that, you know, what they're doing, especially a new runner, um, it's hard, you know, so really focusing on um, muscle groups that, that keep you running. So, you know, your glutes, your quads, all of the lower extremity is obviously important and also your core. So just a general lower extremity workout, I think is a good way to start. You know, I'm not going to ask anyone to do any kind of crazy plyometrics or hopping workouts in the first, you know, month of starting out as training program. Um, but just making sure they really kind of develop that base strength in your glutes, in your quads, in your hamstrings, and just making sure they understand how to feel the 
those muscles and how to make sure they're engaging them appropriately before we move on to the more challenging movements. So I really started out with kind of, um, you know, more isolated exercises. So exercises that are going to target a specific muscle group, um, like clamshells, you know, target the, the glute need musculature, um, bridges really target the glutes and the hamstrings, just kind of really solid base strengthening exercises before we can move on to the complicated movements. And I really use education through that to make sure that each one of my runners understands what muscle is working with each exercise I give them. Yeah, this is great because, you know, what you're describing, I think, are really runner-specific bodyweight exercises. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, starting with bodyweight exercises is a nice way to start the progression of adding in strength training to your program. You know, you're you're not going to be doing really heavy front squats on day one, but, you know, maybe in in month six that you can be doing something like that. Right. And... Uh, I, I think it's actually really beneficial to start with a strength training program that is fairly easy. So maybe maybe you have a certain routine, you have a couple different routines that focus on different areas, and they take 10 or 15 minutes, so they're not super time intensive. And this is beneficial for beginners or someone just starting with strength work too, because I think one of the most valuable parts of beginning to do some strength training is just building the habit, building the consistency, and and really recognizing that this is a vital and and really important part of my training, just like the running, just like the long runs, the workouts. And we are going to do everything we can to stay consistent with this strength habit, because that's what's going to better enable our higher mileage weeks and our harder workouts and long runs to come in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, running is, is really rhythmic in that sense is, you know, you really need to kind of get to know and be consistent and train that strength and endurance in certain muscles, because that's what's going to get you, you know, running more mileage down the road. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I know I have a lot of different body weight strength routines. I'll include those in the show notes. Uh, I'll include a link to your Instagram profile, Victoria, because you put out a lot of really great uh, exercises and, and different things just like this that we've been talking about. Um, and, and I think this is kind of leading into the other big weakness that runners also uh, very frequently have in their training, which is just their propensity to get injured. And, you know, as a physical therapist, you probably see this all the time, um, injured runners. And, and don't you think it stems from the fact that a lot of people think running is either easy or it's easy to learn or uh, you know, they say anybody can do it. And of course, I believe that that's true, but it also lulls runners into this false sense of security, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think one of my favorite quotes that, I, that I've heard in my training, and, and honestly, I don't remember who said it, but um, it's, you don't run to be fit, you need to be fit to run. And I love that because it it just, it really kind of entails of, um, you need to put in the work in order to be that runner that you want to be in order to keep it going and keep yourself from injury. And it really does take a lot of work, but if you're willing to put in the time, then I think it's all worth it. And it feels much better in the end. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're runners, right? We just want to run. And if we can put injury prevention as one of our goals. And and I don't think a lot of runners do that enough. Instead of having a race goal, a time goal, a weekly mileage goal, let's have a goal of staying healthy. And and that will change 
our relationship to running. It will change how we think about running. So what are some things that runners can do, uh, obviously, besides some strength training, which I think is huge, uh, in their training or, or restructuring their training in some way? What are some big injury prevention strategies that you often find yourself recommending? Right. I mean, I, the number one thing is if you feel something and it's becoming persistent, you know, a, a five or six out of 10 on the pain scale, and it's something that happened in two or three different runs, you know, don't just let it linger. I think that's the number one thing is seek help, you know, look up your, your local orthopedist or your local physical therapist and make sure that it's getting the intention that it needs. Because I think that's the number one thing that runners like to do is just kind of push it aside, you know, and they love to hit that goal of the mileage and maybe they are hitting that mileage goal, but they're, you know, feeling a little something in their ankle, maybe a little something in their hip, they start to ignore it. And then the next thing they know, they can't take three or four steps and kind of the whole chain is broken. Um, so that's my number one um, piece of advice is don't let these, you know, seemingly minor injuries linger because it can get bad and you don't want it to get to that point of completely suspending all your runs. So that's number one. Um, number two is I think just, you know, make sure that you you have a pretty consistent program. I think that starting out from the gates, you need to make sure that you are doing all of the right things, taking all the necessary steps in terms of the strength training to keep your runs feeling good. So not making sure you're not just, you know, oh, I woke up today. I'm just going to go for my eight miler, even though I didn't get enough rest last night. I didn't do my strength workout for the past five days, but I'm just going to go out for my run and kind of in that random, you know, I just want to get out there um, and see what happens type of mentality. Um, so yeah, I would definitely focus on those two, you know, having a program and making sure you're not listening. You're, you are listening to your body. That's, those are the biggest things. The last thing that you mentioned really resonates with me because it reminds me of when I was training really hard in college and in, say, the five years or so post-collegiately, um, you know, I was running, for me, 80 to 90 miles a week, which was really the maximum that my body could really handle in addition to the, the workouts. And, and every day was a challenge just to be able to get the run completed, whether it was a recovery run, a long run, a workout. And so I almost had to earn the training by sleeping enough, by being consistent with, you know, the dynamic warm up and the post run core and strength routine and, you know, eating as well as I kind of could at the time. And really doing all those things to make sure that I was staying loose and recovered and I was sleeping enough and recovering adequately. And, and if I didn't do those things, I wouldn't be able to do the training. And I think a lot of runners have it backwards where they're thinking about, let me get in the training and then the other stuff is secondary, where it's almost like all those things allow you to do the training. And it's almost like you have to create the lifestyle around your running goals that promotes you accomplishing those goals. Right. But it also has to be realistic to a certain sense. You know, you don't want to necessarily give up on, you know, a fun dinner with your friends or doing any of that, um, that those things that you consider fun that might necessarily fit perfectly into your training. But there's still a way to kind of manage a very consistent, very 
good training routine as long as you're able to kind of plan it out and make sure that for this week, you know, okay, maybe Wednesday night I go out for that dinner with my friends and then Thursday is just my easy run day. Making sure that you have that plan so that when you have those big days in your training routine, you're ready for them. So to also allow yourself to have certain days that, you know, maybe are a little bit lighter and easier in terms of the training. Because if you just keep pushing yourself, go, 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 that's going to be the, the worst thing in the end, I think. Well, I'm sorry, Victoria. We don't have fun here on the Franklin <laughs> Podcast. We only train as hard fun as we can. Fun doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't no, believe you're, that. You're, you're absolutely right. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've gone through periods of my own training where, you know, almost like your training is periodized for performance, you kind of have to periodize your training around some of your life events and, you know, your, your big training blocks and things like that. Um, and, and a quick example that is just right in my head right now is I got married in 2011 and I was able to you know, go on a honeymoon and have my, uh, my wedding and all that. And, and I wasn't training super hard or anything like that, but that was all part of the plan because the plan was to run a really good fall marathon. I ended up running my marathon PR in November of that year after getting married in July. I didn't do much in July, but that was part of the plan. And it's almost like if you plan ahead and you have that strategic approach to your training, then you can do both. You can have fun. You can go out with your friends. You can go on vacation. You can do all these things. It's just interesting when I hear runners say like, oh, two weeks out from the Boston Marathon, I'm going on a, you know, a vacation or, you know, <laughs> things like that, where there clearly wasn't too much planning going on. Right. I mean, there are certain things we can't avoid, I guess. But, you know, I, I, I think that it's important to make sure that 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 plan is is you know, implemented beforehand so that you can really kind of stress the days that need to be stressed um, and going forward like that. Absolutely. But I agree with you. I think that's really important. Yeah. It's like having a singular focus. You know, you're either, you know, you're either training hard uh, on a particular day or it's just a recovery day. It's easy because you went out the night before. And and I think and you shouldn't feel bad about that either. You know, I think that a lot of runners sometimes feel bad about having a life and wanting to do these fun things. But um, I think that as long as you trust the process, that's the biggest thing. You know, it, just because you, you may wake up on the morning of a long run and feel bad doesn't mean that everything is ruined. Right. So it's 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 complicated, but as long as you have the whole long term plan laid out pretty nicely, I think it's all gonna gonna come together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll give another real world example. Uh, when I graduated college, you know, like a typical twenty two year old, I was living in a house with like five of my friends, and we like to go out on Saturday nights. And so I changed my long run schedule to do it on Saturday so that I could get in a nap Saturday afternoon, still go out with my friends on Saturday night, because I knew that Sunday wasn't going to be nearly as stressful for me. And so that was just a, an easy schedule shift that allowed me to both have a life and still run a lot and seriously train. Completely agree with you. Now, you were saying something earlier that I want to touch upon again, when you were saying, you know, as soon as something starts feeling a little bit off, you know, something feels weak, uh, you have a dull ache or some niggle, you know, it's important to, to, to start addressing that right away. And, and I think a lot of runners uh, take that as meaning, okay, I'm not going to run, I'm going to let it rest. But I'm sure as a physical therapist, you know that 
rest does not necessarily mean treatment. Can we differentiate between the two and maybe how do runners know when they just need to take a couple days off and when do they actually need to formally treat a niggle or an injury so that it doesn't get worse? Great question. Uh, I mean, it's also a tough question because I think it, it depends on the injury and on kind of the person um, to begin with. But just kind of a general answer is, um, you know, rest is always a good thing. That being said, I don't think if, you know, if this one injury is bothering you, let's say only when you're running, right? So it, you can walk around, your foot and ankle feels fine throughout the day, you're totally okay. But then as soon as you start running, that kind of pain starts to build up again. I would say, you know, rest probably isn't the answer for that. Most likely what's going on is something in your running form that you consistently are going back to. That being said, if you're nervous about it, if you don't really want to, you know, seek out help necessarily the first thing, give it a couple days, two or three days. If you start up that run again and you feel it, you know, the same way or maybe not as intense, but it's still there, it's definitely time to seek help. Um, that being said, if something is, you know, waking you up in the middle of the night, you're in so much pain, you know, rest is not the answer. You've got to get that, that um, checked out immediately. I mean, rest probably is the answer in the end, but you, you don't want to just say, okay, I'm just going to let it go a few days and see what happens and not get it checked out by an orthopedist or a doctor of physical therapy. I'm just going to let it go. You know, if it's really that you're in that much pain, there is no harm in, in seeking help, um, either through imaging or some kind of diagnosis, um, through a, a medical doctor. But I do think that a lot of runners, end up in the situation where, you know, they're only, it's only like a one or two out of 10 on the pain scale and they can kind of push through it. You know, if you're kind of around that area in, you know, 20% of your runs, it's probably something that's going to go away in the end. But if it's hundred percent of your runs, it's probably something to get checked out. Right. So I wouldn't let it rest um, necessarily for too long. Um, I've never been a believer in that. I think that the second you can get that managed, you know, either grab your foam roller or see what you can do on your own. Um, and then if that doesn't work, taking the next step and, and, and seeking treatment is definitely the answer. I just think that I've seen way too many runners come into my clinic like, oh, yeah, this hip pain started, you know, four months ago. And now they're walking differently. Um, and they can't even sit at work. And then we have to kind of really start from much, much further back than what would have happened if they'd just come in originally. Um, so I, I might be a little bit more aggressive in that approach, but I truly believe that it, it doesn't hurt to seek help with, with any of these running related injuries, because I think there's just so much to offer in terms of improving form um, and making sure that, you know, even if it does go away this round, who's to say it's not going to come back? Right. Yeah, that's an important consideration, too. And the other reason why someone would probably want to go see a physical therapist or a doctor is to get an actual diagnosis of what is bothering them. Because I know that I receive a lot of questions and I, I frequently have to ask, well, what is the injury? Because, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a PT. Um, and, you know, but as a running coach, you kind of have to know about injuries and, and generally speaking, how to address them. And I, and I think runners should be very good at self-treating if the injury or niggle is not very severe. But at a minimum, you have to know what you're dealing with. 
And getting that professional evaluation, if you're unable to kind of know off the bat what's wrong with your your leg or whatever is bothering you, that initial diagnosis is really valuable because then you know how to treat it. And you only know how to treat your injury if you know specifically the name of the injury and what actually is going on. I do agree with you in a sense. However, sometimes I, I, I end up saying, you know, I don't really know if I need to put a name to your injury. I know that your foot is bothering you because your calf is improperly loaded when you're pushing off. Your hip isn't working in this specific part of your stride. You know, maybe it is plantar fasciitis. Let's just put some, a name on it. But there are so many other things up and down the chain to address that sometimes I don't like sticking to one specific diagnosis because you like to kind of look at what the whole, you know, whole chain is doing together. Um, so sometimes I'm a little nervous to tell people exactly what a diagnosis might be if I'm just, if I'm going to be working on a lot of different things because I get the question of, wait a second, why am I doing clamshells for my hip? if it's my foot that's hurting me. And it's like, I, I want people to understand that kind of, that um, how, how everything works together and how we're really looking at, you know, them as a whole runner versus just that one diagnosis that they might come in with. So I agree with you in the sense that it is really nice to, to put a name to it. And, and mentally, I think a lot of runners like to hear, oh, I have patellofemoral pain. Now it makes sense. But a lot of the times it's like patellofemoral pain can happen from a number of different number of different reasons. So we need to be focusing a lot on kind of the education of why and maybe the patellofemoral pain is happening because your IT band's tight. So then it's not necessarily the exact diagnosis that we started with, you know? So there's a lot of different avenues we can go down that way. I could talk your ear off about this forever, but I'll probably leave it at that. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. I, I think yeah. it's an interesting way of of looking at the problem. And and of course, you, you never want to pigeonhole yourself into saying, you know, I have this injury. There's only one way to treat this injury and I have nothing else going on. That is a very black and white kind of way of looking at a very complex problem, which is some kind of dysfunction in the human body, which is enormously complex. So yeah, I, I do think that's really important. And um you know, I think every runner understands that, yeah, if your foot hurts, your treatment might be up near your hip or your glute. And, and there's always some sort of interdependence between the muscle groups and different parts of the leg. Yeah, I think that's really critical. Absolutely. Victoria, when you are talking to runners about, you know, those, those niggles that might be a one or two on the discomfort scale that you had mentioned a few minutes ago, do you have any rules that you have for when it's okay to go running through a very minor discomfort and when you should not be running? Yeah, I think if it goes over a two on the on the scale for over over 50% of the time on your run, then that's the time to get it checked out. You know, I think it also depends on what part of the rehab um, you're in. So let's say you've been coming in to see me for um, a month or two and, you know, your pain was originally a six out of 10 on the scale and now it's a two out of 10 and it's, you know, consistently getting better. Um, I think that's totally fine. I think once we start to get into the four, five, six on the scale, that's when I, you know, get a little bit nervous because I don't want, there's, there's gotta be something going on 
in that sense during the running form. So I don't want to keep hammering into that form. Um, you know, as you know, you know, probably better than I do running form is very personal. Um, it's also something that's very difficult to change and it takes a long time. So if someone is still experiencing a four or five, 10, four or five, six out of 10 on the pain scale, um, with, with their runs, then I don't want them to keep doing their running form in that, in that way, because I'd like to keep working on changing it and changing that form is, is very challenging and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of, you know, mental effort. Um, if we get down to one or two, you know, I'm a little bit more comfortable. Again, if this is the first time you've ever felt something, it's something that, you know, goes away at the end of the run, something you can kind of ignore a little bit, fine. Um, and as, as long as you're working towards, um, improving it, I'm okay with that. But like I said, over a two, like when you're getting into the four or five or six, um, I would really rather work on improving your form and making sure that we can bring those numbers down and not just hammer into that same kind of routine that you're used to going into. Does that make sense? Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's very dangerous to go running with any kind of substantial pain because, then you start compensating and you start altering your running form, not in a good way, not in a beneficial way, but in a way that is essentially giving you a limp. It's a way that you can run without any pain. And, and that's where we start running into additional problems of maybe exposing yourself to unneeded injury risks elsewhere because you're running with this you know, different form than what you're currently used to. Right. Um, and, a, and a lot of runners don't realize that a lot of that is subconscious too. You know, that limp might be, oh, I changed my form and now I, I'm running without pain. Yeah, but what does it look like now? You know, sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> cut you off there. No, you're you're getting fired up and I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my rules where if you're running and you do have to change your form, then that's one of the, the reasons why we're not going to go running anymore. Uh, I also have a, a rule too is, you know, if it's sharp or stabbing kind of a pain, that's not a good kind of a pain. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not like I'm sore from my long run yesterday and you just have some discomfort, you know, some general body fatigue. That's something that you can probably run through. I mean, that's just part of the process of training and being a runner. But if you're, you know, experiencing any sharp pain, and honestly, I do think even if it's maybe at a two, the, the sharp pain is always a red flag to me. I'd re much rather see some dull or achy pain. Uh, that, in my mind, it is not as, as potentially damaging uh, to the athlete. Absolutely. Uh, now, we have been talking about running form for a while. So let's, let's dive into running form a little bit because I think running form is one of those things where, uh, uh, you know, I have, I have almost a split personality when it comes to running form. On the one hand, I'm very hesitant to, have to change runner's form because I know it's difficult. I know that uh, we also don't know too much about what exactly is great running form. We have some principles, some general ideas, but it is extremely unique to your own personal physiology and mechanics. Um, but then, of course, on the other side, if you're getting injured all the time and you've, you've never had any kind of formal instruction on what good form should look like, then maybe this is a good time to tweak a couple things with your form. So, Victoria, what are some of the, the big common uh, problems with running form that you see out in the world? Well, first of all, I just wanted to go back to a point that you touched on there is 
I completely agree with you. I think that if someone is coming to see me from the from the aspect of um, being more of a running coach versus um, someone who's coming me to me with an injury, you know, if they're injured, the number one thing I'm looking at is their running form. If they're not injured and they've never been injured in terms of running, I won't even touch that. You know, I don't think it's worth it to kind of go into you know changing their form because. Clearly what they're doing has been working for them, um, but it really is, you know, that person who's coming into me to see me that has a consistent, you know, running injury. That's when I'm taking a look at, okay, what's really going on in, in terms of their running form. Um, but yes, a good question. I think a lot of the things that I, a lot of very common things in terms of running form that I do see with my injured runners are, you know, an overstriding pattern. Um running is kind of like a pendulum, you know, you want that pendulum to be very equal, um, coming up in the front and then also out to the back. So a lot of the times with the overstride, you'll see people stepping way too far out in front, which just increases the load at the the ankle, the knee and the hip. Um, and I see a lot of issues come from that. Um, another big one is, um, hip drop, you know, yes, I see that a lot. Mainly, I'm looking at um, a runner's knees in terms of, you know, are they are their knees knocking it together? Um, that's something I don't like to see. Um, you know, some people run a little bit too upright, a little too straight. Um, sometimes I like to see just a very slight bend, lean forward. And I know I don't, I actually don't hear that a lot in terms of um, some of my running coach friends. Some people really say stand tall, stand tall. But sometimes that equates to someone leaning back. Right. And that puts um, that puts everything kind of at a disadvantage in terms of your core and your glutes. Um, so I, I really kind of those are the three main things that I'm that I'm looking at. Um, you know, I could talk for days about strike pattern, too, but uh, I don't I don't really dive deep into that um, unless I feel like I need to. But the overstride is probably something that needs to be addressed first. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the overstriding is likely the number one form flaw, form weakness that most runners have. And, you know, we, how do we fix that? You know, is this a strength issue? Is this a technique issue? How do we even begin addressing someone who's overstriding? Because I, I think I do want to start with this one, because if we can reduce overstriding, this is one of those form fixes that also takes care of a lot of other problems with your form. Um, you know, it's not a cure-all, of course, but it's just one of those things where if you can prevent overstriding, you're preventing really aggressive heel smashing against your, your heels when you're running. And, and there's, it usually increases your cadence as well, which is typically more economical. So I'm a big fan of preventing overstriding because it fixes other issues too. But how do we do it? Yeah, um, that's a loaded question. I think that there could be a number of different things going on in terms of someone who is overstriding. So you could have someone overstriding because they lack hip extension, right? So going back to that pendulum I was talking about, you know, maybe they can't bring their leg far enough back. So they're compensating by bringing it way too far forward, right? So it kind of makes that pendulum go off of that, off of that plane that you generally want to see. 
it also could be, you know, and that's, and that's actually a big one that I see, especially for people who, who sit a lot during the day, right? If you have a desk job, you know, your muscles in the front, your hip flexors get super, super tight. And that limits your hips from going into the, the amount of hip extension that runners need. So then you kind of stick into that form of not being able to get your leg far enough back. And then you compensate by bringing it too far forward. So that's one thing that I see. Um, another, and another, another, uh, I guess thing that happens from sitting too long is your glutes aren't working in the way you want them to. So then you'll start to see that quad, you know, people are really kind of hammering into their quads and you're just not using your glutes at all. So that could also contribute to an overstride moment is you can't use your glutes. So your glutes are at a completely disadvantaged um, position and you're not able to kind of get that pushback. You're not able to bring your, your foot back and that, at that moment. So then it's just kind of being left way too far out in front um, when you're stepping over. And then of course, the last thing that you mentioned, the cadence, you know, and that's the number, that's the number one thing I see is, you know, if you're hovering at about a 160, 165 cadence, most likely you're creating that kind of breaking pattern. Your strides are too long. You're stepping out too far. Um, so I really try and kind of uh, uh, change that a little bit. Um, but I don't use a metronome so much for that. I more just kind of get runners more comfortable with pushing back, right? So making sure they're utilizing their hamstrings to to make sure that their knee and their foot are coming back at that exact moment before they land so that they're landing more under their body. But I do implement a lot of different, you know, running specific exercises to get runners more comfortable with that landing position, right? Instead of just kind of you know, consistently going into that pattern of landing with their foot way too far out, I teach them how to land closer under their body, if that makes sense, by using their glutes and hamstrings. Yeah, that, that's a that's a big one. I think a lot of drills and, right. and exercise, drills. strength exercises yeah. are really important in uh, drilling that movement pattern into, you know, your muscle memory and your brain so that when you're out there running, you know, it's much more second nature. Um, you know, when it comes to the fact that a lot of us sit down for most of the day, you know, uh, it reduces our hip flexor flexibility, uh, it weakens our glutes. It, sh- should we just be trying to sit less and do more strength work? Uh, yes, in the short version. Um, I mean, obviously, that's not possible for a lot of people. I think that the best thing you could do during the day is to just move into different positions. So, you know, I like to say the best posture is your next posture. So make sure you're going from a seated to a standing position to a different chair to maybe even sitting on the floor. And then, you know, just changing it up, getting that variety in um, multiple times a day. I think that's the most beneficial in terms of combating that hip tightness from just honestly, from just being in one position all day long, right? So the, you know, if you have a standing desk, if you're able to kind of get one of those, that's, really beneficial. But even if you just have two different types of chairs, that can also be helpful. And I know that a lot of people are working from home now. So, you know, sit on the ground, sit on the couch, sit on the chair, sit on your kitchen table chair, you know, and go from these different positions as frequently as you can. And that hopefully will be the most beneficial in terms of um, changing up your positioning and your posture. You know, I have a standing desk and I did a review uh, video and a blog post about it like a year and a half ago or so. 
And, and I think a lot of runners were surprised that I actually didn't recommend standing at the desk all the time. Because the answer to all of our sitting isn't just replacing it with standing. The answer is variety. It's a variety of different positions throughout the day so that uh, you're not just in one position. And, and I love the way that you just described that. You didn't say, you know, you said the, the enemy here isn't the sitting. It's one position. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's one position. So if we can rotate through a bunch of positions, we're going to increase our mobility and we're going to reduce the likelihood that, you know, our muscles remember the positions that we put them in. So if we're in a seated position all day long for eight hours at a time, you know, our muscles remember that and they're going to want to go in that position even when, you know, we're not sitting down. We're out there for a run. You know, our hip flexor is going to be in a tight, more tightened position. And I think it's really beneficial to embrace movement variety throughout the day. Um, and I have, I have three kids, so I'm always doing all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff with them. And mm-hmm. while I'm playing with them, I'm like, man, this is really benefiting my training right now <laughs> as a right. true running week would think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. And I think there's also, I mean, that's why dynamic warmups are so important, especially now, you know, we're sitting so long and just to just stand up and just start running, you know, and expect our muscles to do what we want them to do. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, you need to be able to really, really kind of warm them up and get them ready for, for really the load of running. I think that's the most challenging thing. And and you hit the nail on the head, right? When you said that you shouldn't be standing all day. And that's the number one complaint that I get from, you know, most of my clients who I, I, I recommend a standing desk too, is they come back and they're like, you know, I stood all day and now I'm in more pain. And it's like, no, (laughs) the standing desk is meant to be fluid, you know, sit for half an hour, stand for half an hour, sit for half an hour, stand for half an hour. And that's the best way to to combat that. I love it. I love it. Uh, Now, Victoria, another weakness that I want to tackle from a slightly different angle is a lot of runners, I don't think are running enough and they're not reaching their goals because of that. So this is more of a training uh, uh, failure or, or, or a chink in our training armor. And while we were previously talking about a lot of problems that we can fix, this is more about setting up our running in a productive way so that we are capable of increasing our mileage and running a higher volume. You know, most runners, in my experience, are running somewhere around 30 miles a week, give or take 10 miles. What are some things that runners can do over maybe the short term and the long term to help them be able to better withstand higher weekly mileage levels? Well, I think the number one thing is just making sure you have, and we kind of touched up on this already, um, making sure you have variety in your runs, right? So you're not just getting out there and running the exact same um, speed on every single one. You know, your your easy run, your mid-distance run, your long run shouldn't all be at the exact same speed. So I think that definitely helps imp- increase your mileage because your legs will be ready for that load if you've had the speed work, the hill work, all of that implemented into that training. Um, I think another thing too is just making sure, you know, especially as you're building your mileage and especially with your long runs, making sure you're ready for the long run. So you're not just, you know, coming off of a very challenging workout the day before and then expecting your body to run its first 15 miler, you know, for the weekend. Um, That run, you know, making sure that you focus on the important runs and knowing what the important runs are, um, that is, is, 
extremely crucial in terms of making sure that you're increasing your mileage at a safe amount. Um, and also, you know, following that rule that I guess they call it the 10% rule, making sure you're not going up too quickly, you know, making sure your goals are um, attainable. Um, and also understanding that if there's a week where your body doesn't feel like it necessarily can do that high mileage, you know, implementing a lower mileage week every second or third week can really help that high mileage week feel a lot better. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of making sure that, you know, going back to what we said earlier is making sure you just have a good plan. And that's kind of where you come in in terms of a running coach, being able to understand what the best way to, to safely do that is. Right. And Typically, when I talk to runners about this, I have to broaden or lengthen the time horizon that we're going to do things because, you know, I think a lot of runners, you know, think of weekly mileage levels and they think about increasing those numbers from week to week. And I like looking at monthly mileage. I think monthly mileage is a a more long term way of thinking about mileage. I think it's a much more beneficial way of doing it because it it gives you that longer term perspective. And so you're much less focused on short term jumps in mileage and you're you'll you're going to be okay going up by only 1 or 2 miles, you know, in a given week because you're focused on what you're going to be able to do 3, 4, 5 months from now. And I think when it comes to mileage, we have to think that long term. And a helpful way that I've always thought about this was in terms of, you know, season blocks throughout the year. And maybe from one season to the other, maybe you are thinking in terms of a three or four month season. So you have three or four blocks of time throughout the year. Maybe every season you hit a weekly mileage PR of a couple miles. So maybe five miles at a time. Now that might seem very conservative, but I think part of the goal of being able to run high mileage isn't just to hit the mileage number and then kind of shake your hands off and be like, all right, let's hit the showers. We're all Mm -hmm. done. I've won because I've run X number of miles per week. The real goal is to be able to do it consistently. And that's where your body really starts undergoing all those great adaptations. Not when you run high mileage for a week, but when you do it for six months. Right. And to be able to do that. Yeah, it requires a much more long-term perspective. It requires you to be more process-oriented with your training, to really embrace strength training and you know, keeping your easy days really easy. There's so many things that go into it, but that long-term approach, I think, is just critical. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think that that long-term approach also leaves room for failure, I guess, in a way, and, and to have people staying, you know, feeling like just because they might not have done exactly what they needed to do that day, they are still able to hit their goal at the end of the month or at the end of that training season, as you mentioned, that it doesn't get too daunting for them in that sense. Yeah. And, and it, that's a really important point because there, there's no failure when it comes to weekly mileage. You know, you can have a goal and you don't hit it, but your body doesn't know if you ran 48 miles or 46 or 49, you know, th- those smaller differences really don't matter. Uh, what's more important is the total body of work over time. And, and, and that is, is a much more critical indicator of how successful you're going to be and, you know, whether or not you're going to get injured. It's more, you know, how can we gradually increase this over time? Right. Exactly. Getting that 
base, that good foundation. I think that's the most important. Yeah. And that good foundation too is, is not just consistency with, with mileage, but I do want to talk a little bit about strength training and how that really can enable higher mileage. Um, Cause you know, a lot of runners don't run more because they get hurt and strength besides, you know, the overall training structure and how you're progressing and increasing workload to your running. The, the other, you know, I'll say the number two way of preventing injuries is by getting stronger with strength training. So let's build that into our training so that we're not, you know, <laughs> trying to run a lot without that foundation of strength first. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the main goal there is just making sure that, you know, runners understand the importance, but not just that is, you know, I really truly believe that once runners get, get into that, you know, consistent strength training program, they can see and they can feel the difference with their higher mileage runs when they're starting to build that mileage, you know, it'll come a lot easier to them than when they were just, you know, running all the time. And I think that's, that's when I love to see that kind of change in mentality in my runners is, you know, they're kind of eyes wide open, like, wow, that felt really good. And I feel that difference after, you know, a a harder strength workout. So that's the best, best time to see it. I remember too, that when I've, I've run, 70, 80, 90 miles a week without doing any strength work. And I've done it with being very consistent with strength work. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the two is you either feel good or every day you're fighting some new soreness, some niggle, some, you know, extra fatigue in a certain body part. And the strength training really allows you to kind of put some more armor around yourself to protect yourself from all the running that you're doing. And, uh, it, the difference is, I don't want to say night and day, but it's definitely the difference between having a lot more enjoyment from my running and constantly dealing with something that hurts a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, Victoria, we have talked about so many different (laughs) training failures, weaknesses, weak links that runners can start addressing things like injuries, strength training, inability to run a lot, their form. How How does someone know what their big problem is or or how do they know if they don't have any problems? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I think that there are a number of ways to kind of look at it. And sometimes you don't actually really need to know what your number one weakness is, right? You don't actually need to know what the weakness is. As long as you can understand what is important in terms of what goes into running and what goes into strength training, I think you're good to go. You know, you need to, you need to understand what muscle groups are working, how they're getting loaded during a run and, and how to kind of continue to improve that. You don't really need to know, Oh, my left glute is always weak. You know, even though I do, I do believe that if you have a good strength training program, you will know pretty quickly what's hard and what's, (laughs) what's not hard. Um, I do have, you know, kind of, some assessments that I, that I take my runners through and it's very eye opening. Like, you know, if I ask them to do 30 single leg heel raises, a a lot of them can't do it. And they're like, wow, I'm really weak in this muscle, but you know, doesn't really matter because as long as you're focusing on the right things to strength train and you're kind of adding that variety and adding that load into your workout program, you don't need to know what's weak as long as you're doing it 
you know, consistently and you're seeing a change in the muscular system, I think you're good to go. You know, I think that's a pretty broad answer, but um, I don't want to freak people out and like, you know, you have to focus on this one weakness that you see constantly. Um, as long as you understand the, the base idea of strength, you will be fine. I love how you have flipped this question on me because <laughs> the the answer really is, well, just train properly. Yeah. That, like, that's it. That's it. Exactly. Train properly. And if you are training properly, then your workouts are designed well. You're doing strength training that is specific to runners. Uh, you know, you're already addressing some weaknesses with drills and dynamic warmups. And you're basically doing all of the things that help prevent injuries that enable you to run more, that help you get stronger, and even improve your form just through the training process. Exactly. You don't have to know what your, your weaknesses are. You just train properly, and most weaknesses are kind of ferreted out and, and not exacerbated because the training is there. You're already doing what you should be doing. Right, exactly. I love it, Victoria. That, that <laughs> I, we almost don't have a good answer for that. It's just, well, train well. <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's not exactly, I guess, that simple, but at the same time, it is, you know, if you are able to get the education of um, understanding how um, everything kind of comes together and, and, you know, you're doing those running specific exercises um, on your own in, in terms of the workout program. If you, you'll see it, you know, you'll see the changes and yes, there might be injuries down the road. Um, but as long as you stay consistent and you're able to kind of maintain a good program, you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, <laughs> this isn't true for every single person. There are some people with, you know, real legitimate problems with their form or imbalances or, or major weaknesses that do require going to see a doctor or a physical therapist, but of course. For a lot of runners you know, the answer really is just better training. Yeah. And I think that, you know, on that note too, is a lot of runners don't know what running specific exercises are. So I'll see runners do, you know, a hundred million squats, a hundred million clamshells. And, you know, yes, those are helpful, but you need to kind of also make that bridge between finding out what is actually going to have a positive effect on on that running form on on your training when you get out there not just you know randomly doing squats just to do squats so i think that it does take a lot of um kind of also knowing what you're doing um which you might have to seek help for yeah i always tell runners don't be a lone wolf don't try to right. do this alone get guidance where you need it i think especially today where you know the running community in the last 10 or 15 minutes or 10 15 15 minutes 10 or 15 mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. A lot of it has moved online. You can get a virtual coach. You can do telemedicine. You can see a PT virtually. There are so many options these days that sitting in your house on the couch, thinking that you're treating an injury just by resting and not getting a second opinion, not seeking out that support and guidance from a professional, I think is really detrimental to a runner's long-term development as an athlete, but then also just on the short-term uh, uh treatment of their injury and on their current performance. Yeah, 100%. Victoria, thank you so much for being here. I love talking to physical therapists who are also running coaches. Uh, this is, 
you know, it combines both of my passions, keeping runners <laughs> healthy. And then on the training side of things, this was really fun for me. I know you're hunkered down in Manhattan right now, mm-hmm. but where can folks learn more about you, follow your work? Yeah. So on Instagram, um, I have my page train smart run strong. Um, that's really kind of where I'm most active. Um, you know, obviously right now, um, we're, I'm only offering virtual appointments. Um, hopefully, that will change as long as people practice social distancing properly. Um, but everyone's staying safe at home, I think, now, at least in Manhattan. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram right now. I'm currently working on a website. Hopefully that will be up soon. Um, but yeah, as long as you find my page, you should find all the information there. And if you ever wanted to, you know, uh, talk to me virtually, you know, just shoot me a message. All right. Well, I'm going to link up your Instagram profile and uh, your website too, if it's done in time. I know that's mm-hmm. asking a lot. But. <laughs> it'll just be trainsmartrunstrong.com. So it's easy. It'll be easy to find. <laughs> Great. You can check that out if it's up whenever you're listening to this. So Victoria, thanks so much. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Hey, it's Jason again. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you'll find Victoria on Instagram. Her handle is trainsmartrunstrong, and she puts out a lot of great exercise and workout ideas to help you stay healthy. And Path Projects, where have you been all my life? I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I've been wearing their gear. I've got the Sykes 5-inch shorts, the Torch 3-inch baseliner, and the Pyrenees hooded shirt. They're all very unique. The shorts have extra pockets, and they're a very interesting material. The baseliner is stretchy and incredibly soft, and the hooded shirt is able to keep your neck warm. They're a bit different than other running companies because the shorts don't have a liner, but used with the baseliner, you virtually eliminate any risk of chafing. The liner doesn't move at all and protects you from the shorts. And to be honest, I also love the fact that they're not super expensive. Seems like you need to spend at least 60 bucks today for a good pair of running shorts, but these are far more affordable. Part of that is because they only sell online, so there's no retail markup. You can check them out at pathprojects.com to see their inventory and what they offer the running community. Thank you again. I hope that you are well and safe and we'll be in touch soon.